This is Cinema Drive, movies that fuel us. Our passion is the power of film, to engage, to transcend, and to endure. It's spooky season. Welcome to a Cinema Drive Halloween. Ooh. I'm Ryan or Jason. You don't know. It's and you may not know until the episode is over. Well, now they know because you keep interrupting me. That's totally a <laughs> uh, Ryan. No, you just interrupted me. <laughs> what are you talking about? Actually, that is very... Maybe you're the Ryan because you're interrupting me. I So I randomly had the thought that... We're talking about the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Or as I like to call it, 12 Angry Men. Oh, nice. <laughs> Clever. Thank Cute. you. What were you really going to say? I was Jason really going to say, I do feel like, Ryan, that some episode we should don't give it away. actually get on and just speak in each other's roles. And I just... think we already do. <laughs> yeah. We do sound a lot. I, I will listen to us sometimes and be like, did I say that or did Jason just say that? Like, I'll have to go back and be like, who said that sentence? That That's cute because i do that as well where i'm like wow i made a really good point Shut there up. and then i realize it's actually you so i'm like oh no i'm i'm kind of still the idiot so oh, stop it no you are the you can't even think of anything to say because no, I, <laughs> I want to talk about the episode jason okay so settle in let's let's get ready this is a very important movie to us and this is a very important holiday to us yeah it is halloween it is the time for scares and nightmares and spookiness and we're here to get into the best monster creature movie one of the best from john carpenter for sure uh we love this film yeah absolutely and we love halloween so we had to match them up together it only makes sense to honor such a beautiful wonderful spooky holiday Mm. with such a wonderful scary spooky thrilling movie yes and we love kurt russell yeah, Kurt Russell is a treasure, Ryan. Just a treasure of a man. Absolutely. All right. But before we dive into that, oh, Ryan. Yes, you interrupting son of a gun. Yep. Interrupting cow. Moo. Who, who goes there? Jason the Interrupter. Did you like my Who Goes There reference? It was beautiful. Thank you. For those who don't know, that's the novella the thing was based on. Yes. And let me ask you the deep question, Ryan. Let's do it. This is probably our worst intro since season one or is it our best Uh, uh. all right i'm ready all right ryan i came up with this based on our discussion of empire records last episode where we were talking about we had fond memories of empire records we went back and and rewatched it and we were both kind of disappointed in it but what's a movie that you enjoyed near the time of its release but it doesn't necessarily impress you today you know, in my in my movie going heyday, when I was probably going to see movies consistently, was the early two thousands. I mean, I was seeing movies in the nineties, but I went a lot more in the two thousands, and it's only increased from there. So it's hard thinking back to a lot of those and thinking, yeah, a lot of those just feel dated. But I think the one I was probably excited for was Star Wars: Revenge of the Sith. Uh, and I remember enjoying it and going back to see it again, just because I was 
interested in how the story was going to tie into A New Hope, and I always wondered what that looked like, the uh, the events that took place right before the fall of the Jedi or whatever. Like That was always very interesting to me as a kid, hearing Obi-Wan tell Luke about it in uh, A New Hope and, and in Return of the Jedi and reading the novelizations. So I was always dreaming in my head, what is this going to look like when Obi-Wan and Anakin finally have a falling out? And Anakin is forced to take on the uh, armor. Uh, what does it look like for him to actually become Darth Vader and then succumb uh, to the lava and all that stuff? So I was really excited to see how George Lucas tied it up. And I thought that he had a tough task, which was to essentially portray a downfall of a hero, but then kind of give it this this bit of hope at the end. Mm. And I think he actually did a pretty good job for what he had to do with the main points, the main ideas. Ideas. This is 2023 Ryan saying this. And I think back then I was just, it was just cool to see the wrap up of this trilogy. And at that point, I think we were all very aware that this was the most interesting entry uh, than the two before it. Sure. Much more interesting. So I, I did just enjoy like this, what was supposed to f- finish up the Star Wars movies. Like this was it. And we didn't hear about sequels or rumors of sequels for another, you know, seven years, uh, which doesn't, man, looking back, that does not sound like a long time, but it felt like a long time. Like it was done. Uh, Now it's Star Wars is perpetual. It will never end. Um, Back then it was like, no, I've wanted, he's been talking about the prequels for years. He was working on it from, you know, the mid early to mid nineties. So it was finally over in 2005. So, but now I look back and I'm like, yeah, this is still. I have a lot of trouble with this. I, I thought, I thought, why Anakin goes to the dark side made sense, but I still have a lot of trouble with the whole world and setting of the prequels themselves, mm-hmm. which is fighting words. Uh, I have, I have, I think much more interesting ideas of what I thought it would look like for the Jedi to exist and the Republic to exist, and yeah. and I've, I've. I have ideas in my head of, of what big story points would look like for that trilogy that I think would be much more engaging uh, than a lot of the politically focused stuff we're doing and, and, and the essentially wasted Phantom Menace when we get an Anakin we just can't relate to and then becomes a totally different actor 10 years later. It's like there's no connective tissue here. Let's just mm-hmm. start with the young man uh, at that age and go forward from there into the cl- Clone Wars. So yeah, that's me. Interesting. I love it. It's... Uh... Yeah, Revenge of the Sith was a hard pill to swallow. I feel like I was in that same boat where I was. I felt like it was the strongest entry. I still feel like it's the strongest entry. Sure, of, in, of the prequels. In the prequel In the trilogy. Land of the Blind, the One-Eyed Man is King. Yeah, absolutely. But yes, subsequent viewings very quickly started to see a lot of different ideas and, and plots that just weren't fleshed out well. And it's a bit harder. All the prequels are a lot harder for me. To, to watch the best thing they gave us was uh, unending memes and gifts yeah like you know they're t- talking about how she's lost the will to live uh, at the end with the the robot doctor <laughs> it's like great obi-wan gift with ian mcgregor's face just okay can we talk to a human doctor please <laughs> it was worth it for the gifts the memes. uh you went uh a little bit deeper than I think really? my answer for this is. Okay, that's fine. One Switch. of us has to ha- bring the depth, and that's just me. You bring the nonsense and the shenanigans. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm okay with it. So The Mummy Returns from 2001 sure. was actually going to be my answer because 90s, early 2000s action films, 
they have a very clear signature. They feel very much a product of a time in just that the action feels very early 2000s and it it doesn't hold up after after kind of revisiting it i was like oh okay this is this is what this movie is and i loved the movie Uh when it came out i thought it was so fun adventurous something new something different it just doesn't feel like it's as big as it thinks it is and not only that but clearly Dwayne the Rock Johnson's CGI at the end of that film has been exploited to death and okay. everyone laughs at it and it looked yes. bad in 2001. Well that was my question. Yeah. If Dwayne Johnson had not become the juggernaut of action acting that he is now, do you think you would feel that bad CGI as much? He's 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 a household face now. Yeah, and absolutely. Unless you were into wrestling, he wasn't necessarily as big. I mean, I knew who he was, but I for the most part, uh, you were a pretty big wrestling yeah. fan. <laughs> just huge. I would wear my <laughs> unitard just to watch them. Uh, you know, do you think that changes your perspective of how bad that scene is, or is it just oh, this is a throwaway? Whereas now you're like, oh no, that's Dwayne Johnson's face, and that is not Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, I would say it's both and, either or. Like I think the the movie itself just doesn't hold. Mm-hmm. as much weight or fun to it. Like it's a, it's a movie I feel like I could show my young daughters and they would be thrilled by it. And right. it's kind of like it's that that level, that speed. It's not a movie that I would go back and revisit and be like, "Wow, what a fun ride." And so regardless of the CGI, I I feel like the movie itself is dated. I feel like I'm looking for something a little meatier to chew on in a film these days, regardless of whether it's a drama or an action, I still want something a little bit weightier. The CGI, I think doesn't help the fact that I'm like, Ooh, yeah, this, this movie is dated. It impacts my enjoyment of it because I'm really trying to be into the final climatic scene. And I'm just like laughing (laughs) a little bit at how janky it looks and Brendan Fraser has said like hey the movie's just janky fun enjoy it right. you can laugh at it it's totally fine but i'm like it impacts my my enjoyment <laughs> that particular scene the movie as a whole i feel like is just a product of its time and not one that i'm going to talk about on cinema drive because on cinema drive we talk about legacy and impact we do before we do can i ask one more question sure it what do we think about we don't we don't like inserting mediocre CGI into classics like Star Wars. Uh, but what do we think about going in and, re- cor- and correcting bad CGI? Is there there's something like the Last Starfighter, which we talked about earlier this season, mm-hmm. where maybe part of the charm of that '80s movie is that the graphics are the graphics, and we don't need to go back through and make those astounding but then something like the mummy returns which no one holds in extremely high regard for that very reason what if we went in and dwayne johnson shot some film and they just patched those with a really awesome looking scorpion you're like wow now brendan fraser's reaction makes a lot more sense uh what, what do we what do you think about that especially something like that where it does not necessarily have legacy so you're asking me Basically, should it be given the George Lucas effect? Correct. Is is there something to be said for the George Lucas effect 
with stuff like that? I would I would say no. Okay. Um I think I think a film should stand on its own in the time that it was For what made. It is. Sure. Yeah, and we're going to get into this yeah. in our discussion in the thing and maybe this is, you know, our perfect segue or yeah. a precursor to the conversation, but it's real practical effects. I think they withstand the test of time. I think you can look at it. I watched this movie with my wife, and I think the only reason that Carrie could sit through it was because it was fake enough. Careful with how you say real, because you're going to piss some people off out. uh, I absolutely understand that. I I would say physical, physical, practical, or just practical. There you go. Yes. Yes. Um, But it it showed its age enough that it Mm -hmm. didn't freak her out. But I think the special effects, the practical effects, were done extremely well. And I can look back on that and, sure, I can see some of the strings attached and yada, yada, yada. I can tell that it's a a film that was made in the 80s. But I think there's still artistry there. And I think taking away from that and, you know, throwing in some fantastic 2023 CGI... Mm -hmm actually would detract from some of the magic i think that was created in 82 absolutely yeah i I think uh the mummy returns would be an interesting one to experiment with i'd be curious to know what that would look like and i I think i think we can't do a one-size-fits-all solution i think we have to look at the the movie in context like you're saying and kind of wonder like it would be cool to see someone mess with it i'm not saying a theatrical official version sure but maybe it'd be cool to see someone do something. It's probably already been done, and we need to check that after this recording. Uh, I'm I'm sure it's probably you know like the kid who got hired by Disney after he right. did a much better right. job of integrating Luke's face. Another thing I don't care about. Right. And so it's <laughs> and so again, I think it's easy for me to do that because I don't care if the Mummy Returns is messed with because sure. I don't watch that all the time. I don't care if they do that to Mandalorian. Like I don't. Go ahead and mess with the stuff that I don't care about is what I'm saying, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of things I do care about, I care about the thing. I care about John Carpenter creating an increasing sense of dread. Mm. I care about uh, practical effects like, that you mentioned that, to me, by and large, still hold up as mm-hmm. disgusting and uh, incredible to look at. You know, I think about the head coming off the corpse on the table and just pulling away and then walking away and the eyes and it moving and there's just scenes like that where I'm like, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. It's insane. Uh, I, I love the music score for this. Ennio Morricone's mm-hmm. and yeah, I think John Carpenter mm-hmm. uh, has parts in it. Just the 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 pulse, the boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom, and, and just the eerie, inexplicable dread you're feeling before anything horrific has happened this movie is absolutely wonderful it as you're saying even before anything scary has happened you're anticipating it and you feel it lurking around the corner you know clearly the marketing shows that this is a scary horror film but you as the audience you could walk into that film thinking it's the brightest bestest happiest movie ever you would immediately be confronted with the fact that no something thrilling is about to happen because carpenter i think just captures such 
a mood of suspense and this idea that something is happening. You don't know what, but something is lurking. Something is coming. Something is about to throw this crew of men out of their normalcy and have them at each other's throats, we find out in subsequent scenes as the movie progresses. Some thing. Some thing. Did you ever watch the 1951? I didn't. Have original? you? It's been on my to-watch list. Uh, we have talked about our watch list quite uh, often in the past several episodes, but it has been on my to-watch list, and I have just not gotten around to the it. The most I've seen of it is in Halloween, John Carpenter's previous yeah. hit, right? Uh, where he kind of hints at making this one. Yeah, in this movie, I have never seen a dog more scarily lit. Mm. Uh the, when that dog is at the end of the hallway, uh, before he, you know, he's just kind of exploring and rooting around before they put him away. It, there's something in its face, in the mm-hmm. light, in the way it peers out of the shadow at the end of the hall, before you know, going into the room when it just sits down amongst the other dogs in the kennel when it's watching them from outside mm-hmm. as they prepare to leave for the Norwegian camp. Man, I mean, it is. There is just something about the way they shot this dog and the, <laughs> the well trained dog, too. It is very unsettling. Yes. Like you, and they're not trying to keep it a secret. I mean, obviously, they're shooting at the dog. And I, I just love this inexplicable event. Right. Right. And I love that you don't know what it is with the dog, but you know there is something yeah. with the dog. Yeah. And even before that scene that you're talking about, I think they're they're sitting at like the dinner table, the kitchen, and the dog brushes past yeah. one of them, and he just like the guy just flips <laughs> out, and you as You're the like, audience Ugh. are like, "What is happening?" Yeah, and it's just like, "Oh, the dog surprised him." Right, but you as the audience, you're aware that there is something with this dog that is not right, and yeah. you know it, but nobody else seems to realize oh. it until it's too late. Well, and that's cinematography is one of the first things I wanted to talk about. I think the lighting is top-notch. Mm. I think it's so moody, and it reinforces the special effects mm-hmm. as well. The way the way it lights, it's it's lighting the special effects and playing in and out of the shadows, even as they're, like, shining flashlights on the first transformation mm-hmm. in the kennel, uh, and the dogs reacting to it, which is just... I love how we have this terrifying human understanding of, like, why is this dog upset? Mm-hmm. You know, like what dogs barking at something and even being scared and not aggressive toward what they're barking at is terrifying. In any film, you're like, oh, something's wrong. Somebody's outside. Mm-hmm. So, some, something is not right. Uh, I, I do love how the lighting does reinforce the special mm-hmm. effects. I think it's done so well. It, even when they're exploring, you know, the Norwegian camp, it's so beautifully lit. And moody, and it feels like it's already been given up to the ice. Mm-hmm. The whole, the whole thing. Uh, and I think that the lighting is just so intentional with yes. helping to create that mood, not just the direction and the editing and the pacing and the acting, uh, but the cinematography itself. You know, you got um, just some great framed shots, mm-hmm. uh, like right before the blood test, Clark with a scalpel in the foreground that we're seeing in the bottom left, and McCready is in. 
the middle ground and guys talking to us in the background and uh, Blair when they're going to check on him. And he's like, I feel much better now. I want to come back inside. And between McCready and Blair is the noose mm-hmm. hanging down without any explanation. We don't see Blair tying that noose. We don't, even say, we don't see him acknowledge it and say, yes. yeah, I thought if I might be it, I'd kill myself, save myself the agony. It's just there. And it creates this foreboding. Yes. Uh, just great cinematography. That's that's one of the things on my latest watch through of this film. And and I will say this is a perennial Halloween watch for me, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of whether it happens on October 31st or at some point in the month of October. Yeah. The thing comes on my TV because of how incredible this film is. I think it is both a genre defining film as well as a genre defying film sure um and what you're talking about with the cinematography is something that i really keyed in on in this past watch of i think carpenter does a beautiful wonderful job of really setting the tone of this film through lights through the darkness through shadows uh through the way cameras are pointed at specific characters in certain sequences. Uh, They really inform the way that you as the audience are taking in not only the environment, but each of the characters and how they are feeling in specific situations as the terror and the mistrust begins to grow among their ranks. One of the things that I think is also beautifully done I have never watched a movie where I have felt the chill of the air as I do when I watch the thing. Sure, sure. I feel the oppressive cold. And I love that this film takes place with all the snow in this remote area where there is no help that is nearby. All you are met with outside of this building where it's a bunch of people that you don't know if you can trust is the endless void of snow and we see kurt russell's character get caught out in the snowstorm for a while and he comes back in his whole beard is just covered in ice crystals he's he's shaking as he's also trying to defend himself right and you just feel the weight of the cold I have never felt that or experienced that with any other film the way that I do in The Thing. And I feel like the cold, the environment, is almost just like another oppressive force against them. Yeah, absolutely. And and their seclusion. Yep. And they can't contact anyone. Windows is trying to constantly... You know, get get word out, and there's nothing. Like, they are... It's another isolation movie like you would in a you know movie like alien mm-hmm. like you are trapped on this spaceship <laughs> you are trapped in this unforgiving weather there's nowhere to go yeah. uh and you were talking about the uh different watching the different characters i think that's one of the things that i love most about this is that we don't know who everyone is as mm-hmm. we go in like people have said carpenter is not strong on characterization and i can see that i think carpenter is a high concept director yep. who has ideas but I love the things that we do know about the characters. Like Blair is clearly, clearly this very thoughtful, you know, mm-hmm. uh, scientific type. We get a lot of lingering shots of him just kind of regarding people thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. You're like, what's going on there? Childs, clearly not an even-tempered guy, as McCready yeah. points out later. 
uh, Clark, just kind of subdued. He's the guy who takes care of the dogs, probably loves the dogs more than any of yeah. his teammates. So he's kind of interesting. Windows is is you know kind of high strung, kind of scared and frustrated. Palmer is just like this jerk, and nothing bothers him. And he's just he just always has some kind of crack. Uh, so I love that because you really do get some disguises of who the thing is, just in who they are, right? And the fact that these these are ex- just ordinary guys yes. in extraordinary circumstances. Yes. You're like, well, is Gary just acting petrified because well, he doesn't know what's going on? He doesn't know what to make of it. He's yeah. a practical man with a gun who really can't do anything. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I love what you're talking about too. The fact that this is this is a crew, this is a team. Right. This is not family. This is not best friends. These are co workers. These are co workers yeah. who, you know, you you definitely get close with several of your co workers, but there are other co workers that right. you just meet at the water cooler, say hey to, have <laughs> right. you know, an okay relationship with, but you're never gonna be best friends with them. You don't know what their personal life is like. Yep. And so, you know, that even increases the tension and the mistrust. And I feel like the first time that I watched this movie, you know, I am such a fan of the family that you build through friendship and relationship and family is who you make it that I almost felt this sense of, man, what a missed opportunity that these guys aren't more like brothers. And Mm -hmm. we we see the The circumstance, right? right, We see the circumstance that they're in shattered because of this. But I actually love, love, love the way that Carpenter set this up of these are guys that sure they get along. They've worked with each other. They're in isolation together. They're coworkers though. And so there's already a level of, I don't really know you. Yes. I don't know your quirks. I don't know your ins and outs. And you as the audience are right. given that sense of mistrust just as the mistrust is growing and building yeah. among this crew. And of it makes co-workers. sense. Yeah. yeah. You've seen like Invasion of the Body Snatchers where they t- take over people you know and are familiar with. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing something where it's even more mistrustful. Yeah. Uh, let's grab a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more on The Thing. Are you troubled by an overwhelming love of cinema? Do you experience feelings of dread not knowing what to watch on a Friday night? Have you or any of your family ever seen a Best Picture winner and a superhero flick as a double feature? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and listen to the professionals. Cinema Cinema Drive. Drive. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Your engagement with the show helps us engage with a wider audience. Go to thisiscinemadrive.com and let us know what movies fuel you. We're ready to believe you. And we're back. Uh, Jason, one of my favorite lines in this film is when they're all like getting together and he's going to do the, the test. Like, what for? For your health. <laughs> it's just so true. They're all going to live or die based on this stuff. I just love It's such a Kurt Russell line. For your health. I, I love that there is like a level headedness mm-hmm. to the difficulty and that they are reasoning it out. I've said this on Cinema Drive before, but the reasoning and logic, how they figure things out as they go, is one of the best parts of this film for me. They don't just go running around. There's some of that, 
but they're trying to not lose the plot. They're trying to make intelligent decisions. And what gets in the way? The mistrust. Yeah. Because the fact is the audience is, is doing the same. And we're evaluating motivations. And I think that's what interests me the most about this is like I'm watching and I'm trying to figure out different points. Well, is he the thing? Is he trying to give control mm-hmm. to the other guy because he's the thing and he knows that guy's the thing? And so he's trying to make it look like he's giving up, but he's taking attention off himself. Mm-hmm. And and I think for me, the, the question is, what is the true nature of the thing? Because there are moments where I'm like, well, is he doing that to for a certain reason, to elicit a certain response? I think the true nature of the thing is just to, to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to survive no matter what. So imitation, lying, and I think acting like what it wants, acting like it wants what its host wants, I think is the closest I could come could come to that. I'd, I'd love to know what you think because yeah. I think it's it's weird. I'm like, well, why is if that's the thing, why is it acting this way? And then I, f- and then I think the, the imitation, I always figure it to be more of like just a clay talking version of the person. But I think it yeah. really does. I know it sounds dumb, but I think every time I watch it, I accept more and more. It really does become that person. And it's taking its brain cells and its memories. Like you and I could not do this. You, It would probably repeat all our secret jokes and memories to each other, and I would still be tricked through identification. You know, you there's, I would have to do the blood test, which is ingenious. But it's like, okay, so it's going to always act like this person. Right. It's going to act like that person in that stressful situation because that's what it does. It literally becomes someone yeah. else. I always think that's more so an appearance. I think it really is a full experience, full reaction and I, I, that sounds silly, but it's something I think I'm just kind of like sinking my teeth into in most recent watches. Yeah. Yeah. I would absolutely agree with you. There is, yeah, again, show this to my wife. And those were the questions I think she presented as well of, all right, is it just copying their skin right. or is it actually taking on right. their personhood and their memories? And and I was like, yeah, every time I watch it, I am more and more convinced that it is the latter. Um, right. And I think it's fascinating because, you know, you were saying this is a creature that its desire is to survive. Yeah. And I love that in this film, it brings the cast of characters into that same mindset of survival is what everyone is trying to do in this situation. And mm-hmm. everyone is seeing everything else as a danger to their survival. And so it's bringing, not only is the creature's aim to survive, right? it's actually, by extension, causing this crew of men to also revert to their basic instincts of just wanting to survive yeah. no matter what no matter who might get in the way no matter who gets hurt uh it's just it's creating this sense of panic and fear and that's what i love about this movie and i think that's a big big reason that i'm drawn to it again and again is the fact that the creature itself is scary it's freaky you were talking about the detached head you know growing arms and and right. crawling away and the head is upside down and these spider-like legs yep. come out of it. 
and this head is walking away upside down. It's so disturbing. It's so alien. But that's actually not what the freakiest part of this movie is. Right. It's this mistrust. It's this psychological fear that I think in some ways overshadows the situational fear or oh this is there's a killer on the loose or there's a alien yeah. that is going to do whatever it, it can to survive and get out of this winter wasteland. Right. I get that. I think that is a trope that we've seen in these horror movies again and again and again. And I think adding this psychological element to it is what makes this movie truly scary, truly thrilling and just a joy to watch over and over and over again. Well, because it really does cheat. It doesn't let you in on what's going on. Mm -hmm. In a lot of these kinds of movies, you're seeing a transformation happen. You're just waiting for the, person that's in danger to get it and you're screaming at them like no that's not really blah 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 and and don't go behind the door and don't go in there right don't do it (laughs) don't do it and in this we don't know what's going on Mm -hmm. not everything like makes sense Mm -hmm. uh quote unquote is the tracking who was where and when and why you can't keep track of it right the screen will just black out and time will pass and some, suddenly it's been two days. You know, there, there's these inexplicable things happening, and we never find out what or right. why. And it mirrors, the, like, like the terrific exploration of the uh, bizarre Norwegian camp, mm-hmm. which is really a great setup. Like, you're like, oh, my gosh. This, the, first of all, the impact was like someone cutting their wrist and the blood just frozen as a stalactite mm-hmm. from them. Uh, and, you know, this this... You know, open casket looking slab of ice. You know, like, what's going on? You don't know. And that happens in this camp, too. Like, why is McCready's jacket out there? You know, he even cast McCready into doubt at one point. And everyone is is upset. And we're upset because we don't know what's going on. I think that, that really is turning a trope of horror movies on its, mm-hmm. its uh, head. And I guess sometimes there are killers kind where we don't like know. like the alien. Yeah. The head yeah. upside down. Yeah. You see, you see where I'm going with that? <laughs> I, I do, Jason. Thank you for taking us yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's one of the more frustrating things, but it's also, and it's, it feels like a cheat that they keep giving us these blips and we don't know who threw their long underwear in the kitchen. We, we don't know who was exposed to the thing, when, how long certain people have been the thing. And you're like watching like uh, the, the one guy after, McCready leaves him. He doesn't just like get up and go and do something else. Like they, some of them do seem like they're trying to f- stop the thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, are you? Or are you just trying to act like that so you have some part of you is in self preservation? And it's really interesting. Yeah, I again, I think it's so brilliant. The the blackouts, the days passing, because again, you as the audience are kind of brought into the experience of not knowing. And I think that to a fault, that is what so many horror films can do. And, you know, you and I talked last year about it's not like we're the most well-versed people in horror films. It's not our go-to genre. Sure. 
But from a lot of the horror films that I have seen, I think there is a sense in which the direction that a lot of them go is to give the audience information that characters don't have. So Mm -hmm. that as the characters enter these crazy, scary, dangerous situations, the audience is like, no, 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 don't do that. Right. I think Carpenter is brilliant in his direction that the audience knows just as much as the characters. Right. If not less, uh, because the characters, you would imagine, at least know if they are this thing or not. Right. We have no clue. I I think the one thing I have always been convinced of, at least until the final scene, which I want to discuss in a second. Yeah, same. But... I've always been convinced that Kurt Russell was was never the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but every other character, totally up for grabs. And because yeah. we have those, I don't want to say blips in time, but just, you know, fast forward several days where we as the audience don't see anything happen. We don't know right. what's going on. And characters go off screen for long periods of time. And are and, running around the camp doing who knows what, and disappearing. And, yeah, and we are just, we're living the experience yes. of living in the unknown, which, again, I think just advances that feeling yep. of the psychological terror and uncertainty and questioning yep. everyone's motives, everyone's actions. Yep. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, completely agree. We enter into the character's fear. Uh, and I think that that there's even when we someone is cast in doubt, like Doc is at one point when they mm-hmm. when Norris is you know having the parent heart attack and they need him. There's such great misdirection there where you're expecting Norris to be in trouble and then mm-hmm. his hands going through, and suddenly you're learning that Norris is the thing and he wasn't one of the guys that was even in suspicion. Uh, that's done so mm-hmm. well. It, it's really the blood test that resets everything yeah and it's it's brilliant you know you've got moments like windows being like just very angry he seems like he is ready for a very strong reaction to a negative result and you're just waiting for mccready to realize that windows is the thing because he looks so angry and prepared and and then he's relieved it's like okay it's not me Mm mm-hmm and I wonder if is he waiting for a false negative, like they're gonna think it's me anyway, because of some weird reaction. That would we all just be tense in that moment where we're you're, we're kind of on the chopping block to decide if we're human or not, or does he even actually know if he's not? Do any of them? Like, is it possible to not know that you're the thing, especially especially if you share the memories of the host? Do you just think you're human until the thing reveals itself in you and takes over? Like, he almost looks like he doesn't know. And maybe that's just a a trick of the camera to scare us for this very tense scene. Um, Giving him this this an ambivalent set of emotions. But, you know, that scene, man, the flamethrower not working, the surprise of it being Palmer with the, the blood just streaking out and your your brother and I watched this in the dark uh like two feet away from the screen and he grabbed me and it <laughs> shouted like right when that scene happened I was like oh my gosh completely killed me my heart stopped <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what do you think like, do you think 
Do you think it's possible to not know you're the, the thing? Because I don't. That, that's an, But then I wondered. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I've always... I've always wondered that, especially as they go into the Norwegian camp. And yes, the guy has cut cut his own wrists and the blood is pouring out. And I've always had the question of, was that this uncertainty on his part? Mm-hmm. Or was it a, I can't let this out and I cannot be a human host for it to take take over to replicate me? Therefore, I'm taking myself out of the equation. Was it just a hopelessness in giving up? I think there is so much there. So I definitely just think it's it's open to interpretation. And again, Carpenter loves his high-level concepts and ideas. And I think the fact that we are having this discussion right now on... It's part of the point. Yeah. Yeah. What, What is the very nature of this thing? How does it react how does it take over yeah. does it replicate memories can you be the thing and not know it so i think those are all the questions that carpenter probably wanted yeah. you to be having if like have discussion. those yeah have those questions and conversations 30 40 years after right. its release so ask me the question that you want to ask me because i think i know what it is i know you, i know what the question is going to be okay End of the film. Two survivors, mm-hmm. McCready and Childs, yep. played by Kurt Russell and Keith David. What do you think? Is one of them the thing? This had to be the question because this, this was my question for you as yeah. well. Yeah, as it should be. What I love is that it doesn't matter. Yeah. that That's what I love is that that's the whole point is this, these could be two human men. And both mistrust each other, and it's not likely that one or both of them is going to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, McCready basically says, like, we're dead anyway. Yeah. I think the one thing we know is that they're both not the thing. Mm-hmm. One of them is human. Yes. Because there's no point for this conversation to happen. I think you make there's, – there's a really interesting point with we don't see McCready walking away from the explosion. Like, he could have, right. or he could have just been a surviving part. And Childs disappears. Childs disappears. And that's the thing is we see more of McCready and Childs disappears. And of course, Kurt Russell's the lead. So we're going to assume the best about him. But that's what I love was when we see the jacket, you know, at the midpoint to the film, it it would be a great surprise to find our protagonist mm-hmm. to be the villain. Yeah. And I like that they, they even though it's it's, you know, proven that he's not with a blood test i like that that's that's cast out there like mm-hmm. hey there's doubt right uh, i think that's a great idea because of course you're expecting him to be good i have always leaned towards keith david as child's being the thing mm-hmm. i think it's either that or that neither of them are yeah i don't think it's mccready and i and i think the 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 breath you know that that's what everyone usually mm-hmm. says for years i went off of that and then I was watching Bennings, who's like the first one they see to go, and he's he's breathing smoke mm-hmm. uh, when he's out. He runs outside, and they're they're you know right before they uh, flamethrower him. So I don't think that's it. I I have always operated under the assumption that both are still human, mm-hmm. based on the conversation, based on them both accepting 
their fates. Or perhaps the thing has accepted its fate as well, this idea that it cannot and will not survive this. Right. Again, because the if the thing's purpose is survival and it has thrown these men into that same basic instinct to try and survive and whether one of them is human and is saying we're dead anyway what's what's the point of of fighting at this point can the thing also have that realization of we're dead anyway i don't think what so. does it matter but i think i i would assume that both at that point are still human but to be sure, they both have to stay with the other one until uh, they freeze to death. And I, I would say I've gone over to that in recent years. I feel like that's been the more interesting poetic ending. Yes. I don't think the thing is ever going to give up because I think that's the whole point is it was hibernating for thousands of years, right. for millennia. And there's even this fear at one point that it's going to go and hibernate again mm-hmm. and just wait for rescue to come right so i i the thing is no reason to give up sure it's got a contingency plan uh i love the idea of it being neither of them and they really have done it but then you even look around that camp you're like who knows what body part is just in a corner of the camp just waiting to get the next person like you don't feel any definitive end to it right uh even you know, you, you look at uh, Blair as in isolation, and then you find out he's been running out and building the spaceships. You're like, okay, but there's one point when they go up to McCready's shack because the light's on and he didn't leave it on. So whoever was out there must have made it over to Blair and infected him and then kept going because Blair's put in there because he is trying to destroy the community. Yeah, right. it, it seems like he is trying to save humanity. Right. Because the thing wants more. Right. So it seems like the whole reason Blair is thrown in there is because he's not the thing. So something happens in that shack, which is scary to think about, that someone goes in there and takes over, and we just don't know. Yeah. There is apparently a, a uh, scene in, in the novelization when Nalls is confronted by the Blair thing, mm-hmm. a Blair-Gary thing, and he kills himself rather than being taken by the thing, which is... That's something you never see Nall's fate. He just right. kind of disappears. Right, right, right. Uh, so I actually liked reading about that. Yeah, yeah. The novelization is on my to-read list. Um, unfortunately, it's a pretty low-print book, so it's hard to come by. And when you do find it, it's expensive. But I will say this about the ending is this movie could not have ended any other way. Yeah, Carrie, who hates ambiguous endings... After we after we watched it, she was like, I don't know. I wish you just like knew and it feels like weak on the writer's part to not have a clear ending. And and I argued mm-hmm. with her that no, I think for what this movie was and the feeling of suspense that is throughout this film, if it had ended with a clear answer, it almost would have brought that feeling down. And you wouldn't have this powerful questioning everything until the end. And yeah, yeah, like the next day she's like, okay, I thought about it. I think you're right. I think it it needed and deserved. Because that's the fabric of the movie. Yeah. Is it's arguing that you can't trust anyone. Right. I would argue the same way Inception, Inception's ambiguous ending is about the fabric Mm -hmm. of the movie. Yep. Doesn't matter if you're dreaming or living. Yes. 
And that's the whole point. Is you don't you you are invested, so you care. We don't care too much. I could take an ambiguous ending like prisoners and argue that it doesn't need to be that way. It just is like oh, leaving right. in suspense that you really hope that someone's life is saved at the end. Right. It that doesn't really feed into anything else in the plot. It's still a beautiful ending right. to me. Uh, but I was thinking about like this and those other couple of movies is just terrific all time great ambiguous yeah. endings mm-hmm. uh the thing is definitely up there yeah absolutely you know you and i don't think have a ton of love for the prequel yeah uh that was i think came out in like what 2011 with Mary Elizabeth Winstead who we both really enjoy but what i love about this is the same thing i love about Jurassic World which is the idea mm. uh and Jurassic World, whether you like the execution or not, it's great to actually see Jurassic Park. It's very cool to show what happened at the Norwegian camp. I'm not saying that we need that. I think the mystery is awesome, mm-hmm. but I think that is ripe for a storytelling idea. Don't think it worked, uh, but I do think them doing that and ending with it blending into mm-hmm. the next one it's cool because you don't know who these people are. You don't know who's going to survive or who might have gotten away. And right. So I, I, I just always thought that was a very killer idea. Honestly, yeah, leave the movie alone. This movie is terrific. Yeah. It doesn't need help. It doesn't need a remake. Yeah, and that that is the best thing I can say about the prequel is I think some of the scenes, some of the shots that they recreated – were so well done. And the fact that the end of this film seamlessly bleeds into the beginning of the the thing from 1982, I just thought was wonderfully done. Everything else about that movie, I, I found a little bit lackluster and just like, all right, like it was okay. Yeah, agreed. Uh, there's aspects of it that I enjoy, but just doesn't hold a candle to the wonderful original, which we hope you've gotten a chance to see. Uh, this Halloween is a perfect opportunity to get back into it, and this is why they call Carpenter the Horror Master. Well, that's our show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for spending some of your spooky season with Jason and Ryan and Cinema Drive. We hope you have a happy, healthy, and hearty Halloween, don't we, Jason? <laughs> I would like to reveal that I was Ryan all along. And if you don't trust me, Jason, maybe we'll just sit here a while and see what happens. We're dead anyway. We'll catch you next time. Check us out online at thisiscinemadrive.com. Go to our dialogue page and start a conversation with us. We'd love to hear from you. Special thanks for our music goes to Time Cop 1983. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jason. We'll catch you under the marquee.